just before we get into it just wanted to thank our newest sponsor for the podcast audio technica and technical audio group hooked us up with uh four amazing microphones we're sounding as crisp and clear as ever very uh nice sounding um timber to your voice liam mm. you are listening to the sultry sound of my voice yeah well, what, a, what a tech demo i might send that to audio technica and they've also hooked us up with a uh, Allen and Heath ZI10 mixer. It's great. It's got a little bit of EQing. It's got um, all your mixing options and uh, four channels out via USB as well, which is super handy when you've got a, um, you don't need to bounce people down onto, you know, a stereo track. Highly recommend using it for podcast recording because it's super affordable and also it's, you know, a solid piece of equipment. Um, so yeah, big thank you to them as well. Thanks again, guys. We really appreciate you helping us out with that. It's about the history of Stone Stray Records, which is something that we touched on in um, the previous episode with Michael. He's a big fan of the record label, and it's um, one of those record labels that's kind of has a special place in the hearts of vinyl enthusiasts, just because of the type of music and the type of artists that yeah, that, are on that it. was like DJ Shadow. I'm pretty sure Jay Shadow Dilla. was on it. Jay Dealer, um, probably t- like tons of other artists that like I'm completely neglecting. I'm I'm still, although I've listened to a lot of stuff on Stone Throw Records, and I know I've seen the the labels logo on a lot of records in my collection. I never really, until I became aware of this documentary, and be- until we spoke with Michael in the previous episode, kind of realized that um, that record label has a real cultural significance. So there's probably a lot of other artists that I have in my collection that I'll probably look back on now and go, oh, oh uh, here's another one. I just popped into my head. MF Doom. He's another uh, Stone Stray Record guy. Yeah. So I think from what I gather, and the documentary is called um, Our Vinyl Weighs a Ton. So from what I gather, it's going to be about uh, how Stone Stray Records is like kind of a label for people who create things from old things like from vinyl samples yeah so that's cool like i'm I'm in the same boat like i knew the name but just kind of in my head another label kind of thing i didn't Ooh, yeah like in the same way that you put it Everyone understand the cultural significance of it and yeah. ne- like never have taken the time to appreciate it as the entity itself rather than these individual artists exactly yeah so, so i'm looking forward to checking that one out and sort of learning a little bit about um, how significant that label actually is. Yeah. Um, and you know, I love, I love that sort of thing. I love documentaries about, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's going to be like plenty of scenes where these artists are like picking through their, through their vinyl collections and pulling out particular things that are like, you know, of significance to them. And hopefully I can make some, some new discoveries as well while yeah. I'm watching it. Yeah. Cause I don't know too many sample based artists. Like Avalanche's is probably like the one that yeah. I've gotten into the most. DJ Shadow mm-hmm. quite a bit. Jay Diller a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, man. But um, I'm always curious. That's why I asked in that episode, Michael, I was like, what's your what's your favorite sample based one? Because I actually really wanted yeah. to find something new in that genre. Exactly. Yeah. I still have not listened to John T yet. So No, me neither. So I mean, like you, I'm like I'm just scratching the surface with with all of it. So um yeah, I think that maybe this if I can find it somewhere, this this would be a good starting point. And also it would give me license to hang a poster for, for the film on my wall. Yeah. Cause I don't really want to have to like tell people that I haven't seen the movie, even though it's hanging on my wall. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. I, as if I didn't mention before, that's how I 
came across the documentary, someone gifted me the, the poster to the film and it's like a really cool um, sort of like illustration of all these, or, you know, all the artists on the label. So there's obviously a ton of them. And um, yeah, the title just caught, like drew me in. So huh. yeah. That's cool. So you, you mentioned to me that there's a, a, a music documentary that you've watched fairly recently. Oh but- yeah. Yeah. Right before we recorded. Um, so I've started watching, it's very old, but, I'm liking it because it ages pretty fairly. Yeah. Um, is John Safran's musical Jamboree. Ah. And it's a 2002 documentary series on the Australian music industry. Yeah. And like, you know, it covers a broad, you know, series of topics. I've only watched, I think I'm up to episode four. Um, that was, I remember seeing that uh, advertised on SBS years ago. Yeah. Probably around the same time as, as South Park was airing. Yeah. It's kind of, that's probably the only reason I can think of that. Well, one of two reasons I was probably watching SBS late at night. Yeah. But um, never got around to watching it. Yeah. So where did you, whereabouts did you manage to find it? I actually signed up for a trial of that DocPlay service. It's, uh, uh, yeah. I think it's Madman does it. It's like a streaming service just for documentaries. And that was, I always like watching docos. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, decided that. I'd give it a go and that was one of the ones that popped up and mm. you know I've never really gotten much into J- John Safran's stuff but always known of him and yeah watch it and the first episode is about like the exclusive nightclubs in Melbourne uh, what, yeah. have you seen the bit there's a bit where there's so he there's this nightclub in Melbourne I forget the name but they it's ex- extremely exclusive there's no sign out the front with the name or number or anything like that it just has these iconic orange doors Ooh. and uh basically the there's no line because the bouncers just decide whether you you fit the vibe or not <laughs> and they peep through like a hole and you know they either tell so, you to go away or they invite you in and people get turned away all the time you just stand there and wait for someone to go peace off or all right you're cool exactly <laughs> That's and great. um and but they're, they're obviously ties to the music industry. So this is 2002, this documentary was made, right? right? So what they do is they, um, it's actually, now that I think about it, you know what a good comparison is? That it has cha- Chase's War and Everything style stunts, but related to the music industry. Gotcha. And not, not so politically driven, but, you know. In other, yeah, in other Saffron ways. was a bit of a troll from what I gather in his day. Exactly. One of the earlier ones, one of the like the the precursors to what the guys from Chaser were doing. Yeah, this is before Chaser's War at least. And, yeah. You know, they were doing other stuff at the time. But um, so what they decide to do is back then, no one knew the actual identities of Slipknot. It was still kept a secret. So yeah. what they do is they get one of them to call up and pretend to be a um, a touring management company and say, Ooh. oh, I've got these clients, Slipknot. They're pretty big in the metal world. They want to come by. That look, the thing though is, is they're going to be coming by after some um, interviews. So they'll be in their full suits and get up. And mm. they, they like doing that in public, you know, it's kind of, you know, for the fans kind of thing. Yeah. But do, can we get them on the door list? Yeah. And they get them on the door list and they film them going outside and they put them in the orange jumpsuits and they've all got the crazy masks on and they get into <laughs> this really exclusive nightclub. But not only that, they give them a private room. And people are going up saying like, oh, I love Slipknot. And That's they're amazing. They're signing shit. And yeah, it's pretty funny. There's a few other pranks on like, there's <laughs> kind of like one good prank per episode kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And one of them involves Steve Price, 
from back in his 3AW days. Yeah. I won't spoil it because you should watch the series. It's, oh, it's good fun. Will. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so far. I'm only, as I said, four episodes in, but it's pretty great. That Slipknot thing, though, it's like one of those things that strikes me as like an idea that's kind of like so simple that you'd be like, is this going to work? And you just try it and it works. Like going back to um, like the chasers again, they tried to pull a stunt where uh, oh, they, did, they, they, they succeeded, they didn't try. But remember when uh, there was like some sort of uh, political summit going on in, oh, was in it, Melbourne or was Sydney? It not G20, but G8? G8, yeah, I think, G8's- was the one. And um, my mind, yeah. yeah, they basically just like hired a limo and like stuck some fake flags for like a country that wasn't even in the summit on yeah. the front and I just had Canada some guys or something like that. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, just had some guys in suit, just like yeah, you know, dressed as security, walking beside the limo and just like oh, just slip in the back there and see how far we get. And it worked. Like, and it's just dead simple. Yeah, but I mean, you'd just be you'd be laughing uncontrollably surely like at the time that was i remember when i was in high school everyone who was in remote lynch comedy was into the chaser yeah it was a and great so show it, when that happened everyone was like came to school the next day like oh shit yeah it was a like, huge news it was huge thing. news at the time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. oh man so good because like the police commissioner or wh- whoever the whichever department was handling having snipers on the roofs they were mm. like, they said something like yeah we, we we could have been moments away from you know shooting them so this is like a terrible stunt kind of thing yeah yeah a little um, bit silly <laughs> and so you know denouncing the prank yeah um, as you would fairly do mm. um still it's funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean those guys in the slipknot masks like Fair, fair play for keeping a straight. Well, not keeping a straight face, but fair play for staying in character. Oh, they didn't stay in character too well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they were like, they were, they were going off. I think they got kicked out in the end or something. Like yeah, that. they didn't. They didn't show anything about. But because yeah. you'd be like, damn, we're in. Like, we've got our own room. What do we do now? Yeah, like <laughs> they did have video footage. Like, a couple of them had like handy cams, and like they were, they were just you know getting loose. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. Um. Yeah, so there's been a few albums come out that we've been saying to not talk about so that we can at least talk about it in front of the microphones. Yeah, that's it. Because, um, yeah, if you uh, get all the good the good bits and pieces out of the way off mic, then you've got nothing to talk about during the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I suppose one of them is one that's been pretty hotly anticipated for the last, like, how many years now? Yeah, 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. That's a long time between drinks. Yeah. So 10,000 days was the last one then. Yep, 2006. And so they've just had Fear Inoculum come out. Mm. I really... So you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I, I haven't. I've heard the title track. So I heard that when that dropped. Yeah. Um, And I'm still... Yeah, I'm still waiting to hear the rest of the album. But yeah. you've, heard, you've heard it. I've listened to it now. Yeah, it's... um. Fear, well, firstly, Fear Inoculum, the title track that they put out weeks Ooh. ago, I I do think is the weakest song in the album. Yeah. And I don't think, I didn't even listen to it that many times. Like, it's just kind of. It was quite a slow Trying build to of pack in as much like toolisms. It was like almost, I wouldn't call it derivative, Ooh. but it was, 
I mean, like, they were just working, you know. Is it so that it does that the usual tools kind of sound? Where does it fall on the track list that song? Because it's quite it's a slow. Yeah, yeah. It's so a, it strikes me as an opening track, exactly, and that's why I kind of didn't think too much of it at the time. And yeah, I was like, look, it is still a really good track, and in context of the full album, Ooh. you can definitely appreciate it more. Yeah, it's, it's one that you go back setter. and listen to it and know, like, yeah, it kind of, yeah. Where you would know, where you, you know, understand when you know where it's going to take you, you kind of appreciate it a little bit more for, you know, whatever other yeah, reasons. Yeah. But I've really only had the chance to listen to it like once in a bit like in the car. So what what to what to say about the rest of the album then? Um, yeah, it's it's great. I I I do think it's their best album. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't there isn't many like it's very it's probably the most progressive in the sense that it doesn't stick around on one kind of riff for too long or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does, it does at points kind of have a chorus structure mm-hmm. that, you know, comes back, but it's very, you almost don't notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. In, in my opinion, it's, it's a, Tool fans album. It's not like high wear tool. Yeah. Like his They're pretty his well established by now. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> that kind of could be disruptive to the writing process, but I trust their writing process because like, you know, you're working not now in the, the realm of trying to, you know, express yourself and mm. in a new way to or to in a way that's new to people, but you know, you're working within the boundaries of what they are expecting of you. Yeah. Um, because of that. So yeah, I feel like there would be a lot of pressure and I think they handled it very well and released a really solid album that satisfies the expectations. It gives something new that like I've seen a few comments online saying it like putting it down for X, Y, Z reason, but you know, you're always going to have that. But when you have, when you have a 13 year gap between albums, expectations are generally going to be pretty high. Where there's, there's always people who, Regard. There are people who genuinely disagree. Yeah, exactly. But there's also a lot of people who just, they're, you know, contrarians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which, is, which is fine, you know. But, the, <laughs> like, I, I, I do listen to it and I'm like, you know, you would have to be very picky to not be satisfied by this. Yeah. No, and I, I think that shows because, like, the majority of people online are very positive about it. And yeah. Everyone's really hyped. A lot of people saying it's their favorite Tool album. It, for me, it's the most I've enjoyed a Tool album. More than Lateralist, and I love that album. Um, I know a lot of people's is Enema um, as their favorite album, which, yeah, if you're into that kind of style, it might might not take the top spot for you, let's yeah. say, because of the reasons why you probably enjoy Enema well, a lot. But I, I mean, so for myself... You've um, only recently kind of delved really, into them. Yeah, like I've known about Tool for a long time. I even was lucky enough to catch some of their set at the Big Day Out in like, I think it was 07. Oh, cool. Um, but never grew to appreciate them until really now, until you and I started talking about this new upcoming album. Yeah. Um, when the news first dropped about that. And um, yeah, I managed to get a hold of a, a copy of Lateralist, which I've listened to probably like, well, I've listened to it a couple of times today and probably a couple of times yesterday. So like four times in the last two days, trying to sort of um, get, a, get a, gr- a handle on it. And um, yeah. I, I've already said this to you, but um, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it to start off with. 
I think that it's one of those albums that um, every song is like kind of really well intertwined. So yeah. the whole album feels like one long, like one long experience and start to finish. So that there's that to say about it. And also each track kind of like builds so slowly piece by piece that like before you, before you even realize it, like mm. without even thinking about it, the, the song has like swelled into full swing pretty much. And it really, um, when you realize that, like kind of, um, yeah, it surprises you. So even though like it could be perceived as like slow and building and boring, it still like has moments that catch you unaware as well, which I, I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think now that, um, it's got a, like a, you know, quite a psychedelic feel to it as well, I guess, but more like less like a sixties LSD psychedelic and more of like a, you know, and this is probably due to the artwork, but yeah, like, um, yeah, I think it, it was Alex Gray who does the artwork, yeah. you know, so it's got that kind of psychedelic vibe to it. Yeah. Um, you know, with the way that they play with time signatures and, um, yeah, just the whole, the whole flow of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that, yeah, I mean, I have heard Undertow as well and Undertow is kind of more like a, like a depraved rock and roll album. Like a, mm. or like a, well, not rock and roll. It's like a depraved kind of alternative kind of metal album. Exactly. Which is kind of cool. It's got an unsettling mood and unsettling vibe. I haven't heard Enema, unfortunately. Um, I haven't heard 10,000 Days either. So, mm. but I'm looking forward to, to uh, checking those other ones out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think you'll like the new one for sure. Considering what you said about Lateralist. Yeah. So. If it's anything like Lateralist, then I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And um, you know, the title track Fear Fear Inoculum really had a a lateralisy vibe as well. Oh, it's so. handy coming over. <laughs> yeah. Um actually I read something interesting about um about Tool today as well. Um so you're familiar with Ministry? The band. Yeah, I the yeah. industrial band. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So Al Jurgensen, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um he's claiming responsibility for tool becoming a, like a psychedelic band. Yeah. I, I saw that cause he reckons he spiked them with acid one time or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe that's a well-known, like it's probably well-known by now, but um, yeah. He reckons he used to put like two drops of, uh, two drops of acid in his bottle of whiskey, drink half on stage and then apparently passed his bottle off to Maynard and, um, and uh, one of the other members of tool. And according to him, they were up for like two or three days tripping out and yada, yada, that's yada. Like, no matter what band you created by that, that's still like such a shit thing to do that I think you're still a dickhead. Yeah. I never, yeah. I mean, I love ministry, it's- but I don't think Albert Jorgensen is a very solid dude. I remember one time back in my days when I used to pirate music, now I just stream it. Yeah. It, but um, I remember that when I was curious about ministry, I went to go find a torrent and on the pirate bay and there was a discography torrent. <laughs> And the description on the Pirate Bay was this story by the guy who uploaded it. And he was like, um, yeah, this is me uploading the discography of Ministry because and he goes into the story about how he was working as bar staff at a venue that he once performed at. And yeah. he's the biggest douchebag to him. And so he was like, yeah, uh, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I'm putting your discography yeah, up yeah. online. He seems like the sort of person who's um, probably burned a few people in his day. And, you know, I'm... I'm disappointed in him as well because like I actually had tickets to see ministry. Um, it was maybe 2017 if I recall correctly when they announced a tour 
Mm. And they were going to play, I think it was at the Astor or something like that. It would have been a wild gig. Like, I, I, who wouldn't love to see ministry? But, um, yeah, they, like, cancelled that one at the last minute. And um, upon finding that out, I also found out that they'd also cancelled their previous tour down under as well at the last minute. So, mm. um, yeah, kind of a shitty thing to do if you ask me, but. Yeah, he does seem. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, who knows? There might, have been, there might have been legitimate personal reasons or legitimate reasons for the tour cancellation. Like, I don't know, but they certainly didn't make them public if they were. They just can- kind of cancelled them. Uh, without yeah. any explanation, which is kind of, which kind of sucks. Yeah. What are we talking about next? Um, well, another album that came out Ugh. is, uh, this one was a few weeks ago, King Gizzard, Infest the Rat's Nest, which is their thrash metal album. Yeah. So you're a, you're a massive Gizhead. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I really like it. I haven't listened to it in full for, a fair while since, but I did smash it quite a few times when it first came out and I really enjoyed it. It does feel like an homage to metal, mm. various metal kind of movements throughout history. Yeah. Um, That's especially what they do, like new wave of British heavy metal is like probably the, the most obvious one on the album. Mm. Like there's a couple of songs that sound like Judas Priest or Motorhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you, cause you've never really like gotten much into them. Yeah. What were your thoughts on it coming in from that angle? Um, well, I mean, obviously, I'm f- like I'm familiar with the different stuff that they've done in the past, like, and this is like a massive um, shift in direction for them. Um, I've I've enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was it is quite enjoyable. Um, I think what they've done is like they've kind of it's similar to their other albums in that they've taken, you know, like a genre. Well, they've taken not just a genre, but they've taken like different influences, obviously things that they're listening to and enjoying at the time and they're applying it to their own music. Mm. Um, and you know, they're, like you said, they pay, they, they're paying homage to, to something, which is what they set, sort of do in every album. So in that yeah. sense, like this is, I think like their homage to, to like heavy metal. I'm definitely, definitely getting motorhead vibes. Like, um, yeah. his, his vocals, Kind of remind me of a cross between like Lemmy and um and Al from Sleep, the vocal lead vocalist oh, yeah. from Sleep. He's got yeah. that real monotone, kind of like almost like yeah, um, oh, yeah. like monk. The chanting. more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. like uh, like what what are those? I don't know. They're like Tibet Tibetan monk chanting kind of style vocals. You know, funny you say that because uh, I think it's the other guitarist Joey. He actually. He knows how to do that. And there's a couple of King Gizzard tracks on other albums. Where he where does it. It's uh, throat singing. I don't know where, what region it's from. Yeah. But, um, Somewhere in the mountains. Yeah. I think it's like Tibetan or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, and yeah. And it's, it's uh, trippy. Hey. It's yeah. It's cool. I think it's Nuclear Fusion mm. is a track that it, it appears on in the studio albums. But yeah, I'd like to go back and hear that. Like it's, I think it's, um, it's all about like channeling frequencies and, like, yeah, you know, it's quite effective. And I mean, the vocal style is cool. Like, you know, it's old school. Um, I don't think it's going to be winning any like metal album of the year album, you know, awards in my opinion. But yeah, um, I think like as it put standing up against like all their, the rest of their discography, I think it's fantastic. So I think it as a standalone, um, 
sort of like foray into that world, I think it's fantastic and they've done really well. I I hope that they do something different next though. Yeah, definitely. Like I wouldn't want them to do another thrash album. It's like, you know, that's yeah. I think I they've like done the it. journey of going on like, oh, it's now it's this kind of album yeah. and now it's this kind of album. Yeah, yeah, like, that's it. And they've done like, it well. So and yeah, I wouldn't want them to undo that that work. Yeah. They've definitely flown flown the flag, I reckon, pretty well on that one. Yeah, yeah. And they've got a few other metal ones, like Murder of the Universe. But this is the most metal one, like yeah, this is significantly. The more, yeah, like jab a fork in your eye, like in your face kind of metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what I did on my first listen. Jab a fork in your <laughs> eye. Yeah, yeah. It does make you want to do that. Like not in a not in a horrible way, just in a really extreme way. I do like the theme of the album though. Like the the first half's kind of like you know Earth sparked kind of thing. Mm. Um, there is no plan you know, the, B. The the result of climate change and all that. And yeah. the second half is about, um, you know, uh, well, first half I like. Sorry, the second track, going back, I really like. I really I liked the theme of Mars for the Rich. Yeah, and Mars like, for the Rich know, was my favorite tune. I, I think that's. I think it's a really cool kind of narrative that yeah. that track because uh, it's you know it's basically uh, yeah it's the whole concept of the. I think the Stu Tats are left really, behind. Yeah, that was like, oh, why hasn't anyone done this before? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah they I'm do. sure there are like sci-fi texts out there. I'm sure it's been done a million times. However, mm. like, you know, they do apply some really cool narratives to their music. There, I like that. I like that. Yeah, because um, I think yeah, Stu the singer, he's really into into reading like sci-fi and all mm. that. Because on there, what's in my bag? He was like, I don't want to carry records, so you got t-shirts and a couple of books. Yeah, just talked about them instead. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think he's quite into his, uh, yeah, quite into his and fiction. Yeah, yeah. Lovecraft and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot like, you know, so much, uh, amazing influence in that, in that sort of music. Uh, sorry. In, in that sort of fiction as well. Like Lovecraft, man, is I'm sure like influenced a ton of metal bands would have to have done like, um, he was like the original goth Lovecraft, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, him and um, Edgar Allan Poe, I guess you can't discount him. But Lovecraft was like, um, you know, I love how he kind of painted a, well, he didn't paint a picture and that's what kind of made him so, like his fiction so terrifying. Mm. Like it was the stuff that you couldn't see or, you know, the stuff that he didn't describe, like the stuff he left to the reader's imagination that kind of, you know, made that made it terrifying. Yeah, I have to admit, I've not really read any Lovecraft like properly, um, and I really need to. Yeah, there's there's a you can get one of those um puff and book like Lovecraft collections. Um, yeah, I for actually, about twenty twenty five bucks. I've got a book sitting on the counter there. Um, that was given to me by um my old housemates Kerry and Charlie. Shout outs to them. Um, I used to live with them. Back in the day before Kerry moved to Melbourne and Charlie um, as well. Um, and it's a collection. One of them is Lovecraft. So I need to get around to. Yeah. Reading yeah. It. Yeah. You should. It's, um, it's very, it's, it's, it's quite an easy read really for old, for like the age that it is as well. Yeah. It's very, very like, um, very accessible read. I think. Cool. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. Um, so another album that came out. Recently, which is one that I've only heard one track from, which was uh, one that they released before the album came out. It's the new OCs album. Ah, 
Um, this one's been a bit divisive. Face Stabber. I love the title of that one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's in your face. <laughs> Stabbing you. And interesting that they both came out on the same day. Uh, yeah. Considering how like kind of closely linked people perceive those two acts. ICs and King Gizzard. Yeah. Yeah. And they so, are, you know, uh, they, their fan bases quite often cross over. Oh, a hundred percent. They would. Yeah. So, they have to. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting that they released on the same day. Like I'm sure it was just a funny coincidence and they just rolled with it or something yeah. like that. I mean, who, yeah. Honestly, who knows? I'm sure they must've known because I'm sure those guys know each other. They'd have to. Oh yeah, yeah. Flightless brings them on their tours now and yeah. such. So yeah, yeah. And I um, think they kind of just like don't encourage it because there is like quite a similarity. Yeah, That's the yeah. kind of vibe I get. Is that just like we're already we we both do the two drummers thing. So yeah. let's just kind of uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, uh, they, I, I, I I'm mean, sure behind the scenes they're you know they're they're great and all that. And I'm sure they are. And There's well, no as doubt you do that, as a musician, um, but. I'm sure Giz uh, have have been heavily influenced by OCs, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, OCs have been doing pretty much doing that for like since the early 2000s. I think it's pretty well documented that Stu used to be quite a bit of a John Dwyer fan. So, yeah, I know. mean John Dwyer really, you you can trace a lot of it back to him. I mean Ty Segal was kind of like a um, yeah, he was kind of like he was an underling prodigy. Of, yeah, he was yeah. an underling of of John Dwyer, and because he used to like sneak into the clubs to play and all. Yeah, that. he was much younger, and but he was obviously supremely talented, um, and showed showed something and and something enough for um Dwyer to go, okay, we'll, we'll release your your debut album, and, mm. and we'll look where he is now. He's you know, yeah, I'd say he's probably more popular than the OCs. Yeah, I mean, and prolific. Oh, well, he, at least as prolific, you know. I mean, OCs are pretty, you know, they're like all these bands, Giz, um, you know, Ty Seagal and his numerous bands and projects and yeah. uh, OCs, they are all very high output bands. Yeah. It's <laughs> one thing I've noticed. I don't know whether it's just like a thing. It's like, like within that's, the it, genre. that's an expectation. Yeah, I was about to say that, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, pfft. You know, these people obviously have nothing better to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it because like the whole jealous. implications, it's like a, a trend that's just started because garage bands and it's like the expectation that you're recording on a four track cassette is there. So, you know, if you don't have quality, mm. you've got to go the quantity route. Yeah. And, so, knows, and so now that it's, it's just impressive now because the quantity things like stayed, but the quality has crept up with like the age of digital recordings. And that's everything. true. That's very true. You can you can really like bang out a professional sounding recording. Oh, we could record them in this room and it would it sound would, mid. Yeah, like yeah. You, you wouldn't have to worry about it being a kind of, you know, uh, a dent in the sound of your no, album that would it. deter people from enjoying it. It's impossible to make like lo-fi black metal now. You just can't. You couldn't even do it on your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's what clear. a time to be alive. Everything's yeah. so, it's so cold and clinical. <laughs> yeah. So damn easy. Can't suffer anymore yeah. while you're making your music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, back to the album. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet? Just that one track that they released. And like, I thought it was pretty damn cool. Like it's gone in a real jazzy direction and, um, you know. Yeah, it's probably like, because I've listened to it, it's probably, it does it kind of sit as an outlier. Mm. on the album um it's a real mixed bag that's the thing in it like 
the fan review, like the people who love the OCs and like, you know, that that would identify say as an OCs fan are pretty much all enjoying it. Ugh. The critics are kind of like, this is inconsistent and such, which, which it, do, it feels like a mixed bag. It's There is yeah. no consistent kind of thread, whatever that may be in sound or theme yeah. or whatever, yeah. that kind of feels like it strings it all together. It's a bit of a mishmash. It just feels like a compilation of, mm. you know, jams that they've done. However, they're really good jams. Some people don't like how long the jams go on for, but, you know, I want long jams when I'm listening to the OCs. That's yeah. why I put the OCs That's on. That's so. very true. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure if you're pumping through 10 albums in a day, Ooh. trying to review it, and this song's going on and on and on, and you're just like, man, I got to get to the next album. Like, yeah, exactly. I really yeah. love the direction they've gone in recently too. Like, they've they've sort of um, moved away from, like, they've still got a lot of it in their music, but they've moved away from being, like, a predominantly, like, quite tangy, not tangy, twangy, tangy twangy like high-end kind of toppy kind of jangly like piercing guitar sound to a lot more yeah. like you know they've got they've gotten heavier they seem to have tuned down a little bit they're using different tones they're using like vintage organs to like to affect as well to make the songs heavier in a way that like you know bands like um you know deep purple used to do you know and um they're getting proggier and you know, I like that. I think they're going in a really cool direction. Um, I thought Orc was like the peak, really, of that. Like Orc would have to be Funnily my favorite enough, album. That's this. not that's not an album I've explored much. That's and I need to. I think that's the but first. The, the tracks I really enjoy on it. I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. The whole album is solid, and that's like the first album of theirs that I heard that really felt like cohesive and. Um, it was definitely yes. the first one that I'd heard that was like heavy as well. Like yeah. there's definitely, in fact, there's a track on that album that uh, I, I thought long before this new Gears came, came out that uh, was like, I was like, damn, that's a metal track. And he does that. He does that same vocal style as well. So you'll hear it. You'll hear the song when you listen to the album and you'll go, oh, this is the song yeah. I was talking about. Because it sticks out like a dog's like, balls. I played it in full. Um, a couple of times, but not really like, obviously when I'm doing something else, yeah. not really giving it the attention it deserves. I'll, I'll send you a link to the track and you'll go, oh, wow, this is actually like, it sounds like it could have come off the new Giz album. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have the thrash riffing in it, but it's quite heavy and yeah. in your face and it's definitely got that vocal style. But um, yeah, like credit to Giz, they've like made a whole album out of that sound and yeah. done a pretty good job. Yeah, I made it them still. Yeah. You know, that kind of It's unmistakably but, them, yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. And like that, that I <clears throat> I think it's since, pardon me, uh, Gumboot Soup that they've really kind of focused on this, the re- recording quality of their sound. Because mm. by the time that album had come out, I was starting to kind of be like, kind of like, sick of being disappointed by the mix. Mm. And I was like, that's the kind of one thing that lets me down is it's like, you know, I want to be able to put headphones on and listen to this, but like, you know, it's not that kind of experience. Yeah. You know, you're not going to listen for the subtle fidelities. Yeah. The panning and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They do a lot of panning, a lot of cool effects in that sense, but it's always a really like lo-fi mix. And they they dropped the lo-fi in the last like year or two and like really focused on you know, having a nice crisp recording. And this is the clearest they've sounded and well 
produced a mix. So yeah, and fishing for fishies is pretty similar in that kind of standard of quality. So mm. I've been mm. relieved that they've done that because right as I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> yeah, two albums in a year. Like it honestly, it feels like fishing for fishies that only just came out really, and yeah. here we are. Here we are talking about the the next one. So. Yeah, well, they have a uh, secret track in the game that they released. So they dropped a game. I remember me saying, yeah. Yeah, it's like a kind of Quake clone kind of thing, but there's a secret room and there's a cube floating in the air and it says Tyson on there. Um, pretty much all synths from memory. Mm. It might be actual acoustic drumming in it, but for all intents and purposes, it's an electronic track. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought yeah, when I heard it. Yeah, and it's very, yeah, jazzy and... Like there, there is, there's like a 20 second snippet in there where I was like, this could almost fool me for being like an early fly low. I remember you telling me that. Of, yeah. I was just going to say kind of, you know, beat that he produced or something like that mm. from, you know, earlier on. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. But apparently ty- people I read online were saying like, what's Tyson? Like Mike Tyson? Like, what is it? But there's a, like, a a big conglomerate corporation of sorts that's like Tyson industry or whatever it is, mm. Tyson something. And they are responsible for a lot of animal exports and they, their ethics of the company has been under question for a long time as, you know, are they abusing animals and such? And Stu, the singer, he's a vegetarian or a vegan even possibly. Um, so he's, you know, obviously fishing for fishies is very like, you know, Fish are friends, not food, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Vibes, and so I can. I feel like this is an extension of that. So, yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see what whether that's just going to be like a little oddity that they leave out there, and just not <laughs> not not explore any further. Just let it let it fester for a while. Yeah. See what kind of conversation they can drum up out of it. So I guess that. It, just about wraps it up for this one. Yeah, yeah. There's not no not been any albums on my radar other than those that's been released in the last couple of weeks that I've paid a lot of attention to that I feel like I can talk about. So. Yeah. Oh, look, I'll have I'll have some stuff to talk about. Is there anything then, coming up album release wise? Sorry, what we album release wise? Uh, oh, I've kind of just been going backwards, like trying to pick up stuff that I missed on on first release at right. the moment. So. I've got some albums on order. I'll talk about, I'll talk about some of them in the next episode. Cause there's one in particular that um, I'm really looking forward to it arriving. Cause uh, it's like quite different in, yeah. in the, in the land landscape of music at the moment. It's a real nice fu- like fusion of two genres that you might not expect. So yeah, I'll talk about that uh, in the upcoming episode. Yeah. Sweet. Oh man. Um, right on. <laughs>